0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is not Dan Lyons. It is special guest, Steve Haller.
1: I'm special. It's amazing. Thanks for uh, having me, John. Um, Hope I can fill the uh, the shoes of Dan aptly, but uh, yeah, glad to be back on.
0: Of course, of course. Uh, Steve will have beer covered, I'm sure. Um, Always. (laughs) Always. Uh, (laughs) I did say that uh, Steve manages to... Up our beer game in some ways, Um, not to not to slight Dan's beer selections, but Steve usually is drinking better stuff than me half the time. Um, So we'll we'll look forward to uh, checking in there uh, halfway through. But did want to talk about early signing period. Um, Steve, I know you've been following along just like everybody else has with you know kind of how this class has come together, how this class kind of slowed down um, of late, but uh, but did pick up two recent uh, wide receiver commits. Uh, We're not gonna go through every single player, Um, but did want to kind of talk about some of the highlights, um, some other things that we might want to look out for um, when the early signing period happens uh, starting Wednesday. And uh, as a reminder to everybody, like what we get, the names that we see sign on Wednesday doesn't necessarily guarantee like this is what the class is. Um, Last couple of years, SU's actually closed pretty strong. Um, with some JUGO players, uh, with transfers that don't count towards the you know total class numbers, and guys for you know actual national signing day in February, so there's still plenty more uh, story to write here. And since there's only about 17 players right now, SU can still add probably about seven or eight guys um, through various means. It's off season, and that's before you account for other um, you know acts of attrition. So
1: yeah, could end up we're, end up seeing a lot we're of targeting guys. what 25. Right now. we were
0: targeting 25. I know um, the Western Kentucky uh, defensive tackle, unfortunately, is not signing with us. I saw that news today that he is headed uh, to the Hilltoppers, which is a bummer because we could really use some help in the middle.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't be bad, but uh, it does look and it won't be for this signing period, but for the spring. Uh looks like we've got a uh, kind of New York City area JUCO kid coming in um, uh, for an official this weekend. So that'll be nice. Um, uh, Antoine Reed, it looks like, uh, top five in the country as far as Juco in, uh, as an offensive tackle. So, uh, another area we could definitely use help in, but hopefully we'll, you yeah, know, see that come to fruition.
0: Yeah. Caught that. Um, I know Kate Fortin was supposed to announce before the early signing period and he still hasn't announced. Um, I don't know if he's waiting on another offer. Um, I know, uh, how do you pronounce? Is it Chris Bleich? Are we going with?
1: Uh, Sure. We'll go with that.
0: Yeah. So the uh offensive <laughs> guard from Florida, um, he's from Pennsylvania. I know Pitt is kind of uh, looking to maybe get him on campus too. Uh, he was a starter for Florida last year. He still have a few seasons um, of eligibility. I think really for him, like for me, uh, maybe even more than Fortin. I think, uh, I think he's a really important um, addition, if only because it helps immediately fortify, um, you know, obviously can't play next year, but does help us fortify. You know, right now and in the future, um, the uh, offensive line depth chart that I think seemed fine coming into 2019. I think a lot of people were uh, rightfully very concerned after the disaster that we had to witness um, for for 12 games this fall.
1: Uh, I'd I take it to disaster for like nine games, and then slowly improving for three games. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty painful. Um, the the nice thing with him too that if we grab him would be that uh, basically. Uh, in uh, that second year, uh, what 2021 would be, he actually would be eligible and we have two holes at guard, which would be kind of great to fill as a stop cap. I would love that. <laughs> it's Maybe make yeah. that
0: happen. <laughs>
1: yeah, that'd be – it's it's always nice to have a succession plan in the offensive line, um, especially I, there seems to be rumors of Heckle possibly uh, – maybe the, the medical issue was a little little more uh, than was expected. Um, I've heard that pop up. I haven't heard what or anything like that, but it seems like there's a couple of people that are um, touting that. So I, I don't know. Hopefully he comes back because he would be a, a boon to the line. But uh, if he doesn't, we need to have some sort of backup plan.
0: Yeah, losing Heckle wouldn't be good, obviously. We saw so what happened this year uh, without him. I know a couple of fills uh, that could work for this coming season – um, you know, guys like uh, Noel Browse, uh, Nino uh Nino Leone, like guys who coming from UConn grad transfers, um, uh, could potentially plug in there, if not for starting for starting players for depth. Um Browse did was a Syracuse target initially when he was coming out of high school, ended up choosing the Huskies, uh, didn't really see the field for UConn. Um Leon, on the other hand, was a starter with UConn, uh, could be somebody that we decided to plug in. Um those probably like the most likely uh, I feel like a lot of the Rutgers guys are sticking around now. Um, now that Shiano's kind of firmly in the door. Uh, Malachi Burby was kind of the big uh, name on the list for me um, just because defensive tackle um, seemed like somebody who, you know, would really fit an immediate need. I know I mentioned some of the wide receivers as well, but um, not necessarily, you know, as much of a need, especially now that SU has three wide receivers in this class.
1: Yeah, that'd be a, the, it, I guess it'd be a, turning into an embarrassment of riches there, but uh, uh, from that, that Northeast Exodus with Adazio leaving two at Boston college, you've got those two BC uh, offensive line commits that uh, two four-star tackles from mass. I can't remember their names. I know we had them in the, uh, the article we put together last week, I think, but yeah, um, the guys, yeah, those did.
0: guys were no, no, that's another article. I don't think they're going to flip. I know at least one of them is, is Catholic. So I feel Ozzy
1: like your and
0: Kevin Pine. There you flick? go. Yeah. I'm not banking on that. I mean, and if those, and I mentioned in the article too, even if those flips did happen, um, yeah. I don't see them happening on Wednesday. Just too much ground that needs to be made up um, in the short oh, term. Yeah. But doesn't mean that you can't figure something out um, between, you know, now and February, I think, you know, the fact that, uh, that Adazio headed out to Colorado state, uh, definitely helps us out just because he's not going to be hanging around, you know, whether it's Pitt or Penn State or anything like that. Um, you know, potentially yeah. still competing with us on the trail. Um, I do think that, you know, SU, if they want to make some some progress, obviously, like we we've contended well with BC for the most part since we've joined the ACC, but I think the one place where we really need to start, you know, beating them a little bit more often um, is in terms of offensive line recruiting. Where they have, you know, uh, I mean, them, Pitt, uh, Penn State, obviously, um, have been able to beat us, you know, time time again for for top Northeast uh, offensive line recruits. So hoping we can uh, we can start making a little bit more progress there. Obviously, we've had a few um, nicer wins, but still haven't had like the really really big successes that they had there.
1: Yeah, it'll uh, it'll be good to kind of level that playing field a little if we can somehow pull that off. It's uh <laughs> I, yeah. Again, I can rant for hours on it, but it's definitely a position of need. So yeah. we'll we'll leave it at that, I guess. Um, I guess counter to that, we've had quite a few uh, hits on the recruiting trail that, you know, people as always see three star talent, but uh, there seems to be a little bit more of that coming out of Florida. When when you get a Florida three star, it's a little bit different. And Nick Monroe seems to have been doing some work. Yeah. So.
0: This is this has been. Another strong class from Florida. I mean, you know, Robert Hanna is, I think, an underrated safety. And if you look at, like, his his list of offers, you know, Miami, B.C., UNC, Pitt, Louisville, Maryland, like, he's definitely a P5 quality player. Um, Obviously, like, Javante Williams, who committed the other day, he's actually, uh, like, another guy who comes in with, like, some really solid offers, Miami, Oregon, Indiana, Illinois, um, Damian Alford, uh, who committed a week ago. He's actually from Quebec, but you know, playing uh football right now at MacArthur High School in Hollywood, Florida. And he's somebody else who comes in with a slew of P5 offers, you know, Florida, FSU, Georgia, Oklahoma, Miami, Tennessee. Um, just as a sampling, I think, you know, for, for those looking at, you know, offers and looking at stars in particular, like I personally think that the offers are the more important um group in there. Um, but also, I will say like you'll notice right away that players in highly recruited areas, um, Florida, Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, you know the DMV area, the Carolinas lately, Georgia, like obviously Texas, California, like those players are gonna have much more tape on them. They're gonna be much better scouted. Um, those guys are obviously gonna have you know the better list of offers when you see like the the kids that are in Canada and stay in Canada don't have a ton of offers, you know, like uh, Ben LeBras, like has, you know, no other offers to speak of at the moment. Like that doesn't mean that he's not a great player. Um, 24-7 gave him three stars uh, because I think they do the best job of, of looking at the the largest collection of prospects. But like the reason for that is because they're under-recruited because not every school can spend the time and effort, um, especially, you know, in, in the more Eastern provinces of Canada, like Quebec and and, uh, and Ontario, like can, right. not many schools can spend that time. Um, looking at that talent, the way Syracuse can, so not well, to say it's an excuse starting, for everybody.
1: Yeah, look at we'll our starting for. right tackle, Matt Bergeron. Yeah, and he was uh, he was a three star talent out of Quebec, and he turned into I mean he was towards the tail end one of our top offensive linemen. So uh, as a true freshman, so he, there's there's plenty of talent to be tapped up there, and like you said, it's very um, I guess it's kind of the wild west of recruiting. Like no one no one's up there scouting full-time scout doesn't have 24 seven doesn't have uh, their eyes up there. You know, colleges don't have their eyes up there. So we're, we're hopefully an advantage. there. kind of how we have been for uh, basketball for a while now.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so looking at these players, like not to say that, like who's our favorite prospect, or who's the best. Um, Cause I don't think we're going to know that for a while, um, but who is the, who's the prospect on the current list that you're like most excited about um, of the guys who are currently committed?
1: Uh, that's always an interesting one um not just because i wrote him up yesterday but i'm really intrigued by javante williams uh you know i i don't know if you described him but six foot uh 196 out of uh, glade central in florida uh he's been kind of described as that tristan jackson type mold so um as far as in analog on our team but um received a couple of early offers from oregon Miami the um, USF, and then, you know, Indiana, Illinois, a couple of G fives. Uh, and people kind of fell off him because he was potentially not a qualifier uh, as you stayed on him hard. And he ended up committing yesterday. So um, kind of big talent at the wide receiver position that hopefully can kind of blossom into something. Yeah. I and I, mentioned-
0: mentioned- I, say, yeah. I, re- I really, I really like these wide receivers this year. Um, you know, you mentioned Williams, uh, Trevor Pena seems like somebody who is like could be a guy who develops into something down the road. Um, just seems like yeah. you know, a, a really cool, like slot uh, slot receiver who like maybe fills a better Sean Riley role.
1: Yeah, maybe that, uh, maybe that Irv type feel to him. So he, uh, and I mean, recruited as an athlete, he played both sides in high school, but, uh, I think it's more of that flex spot. You know, is he, is he an in, inside uh, receiver? Is he a running back? What are you going to do with him? Where are you going to run him? So, um, hopefully we can find something on the Island of Misfit Toys that we have to, uh, <laughs> solidify what he's got going. I,
0: I think we'll find a way on him. I think too, the guy that's going to have no problem finding his way on the field is uh, Damian Alford. Um, who I mentioned earlier as somebody from Montreal uh, was playing football down in Hollywood, Florida this past year, six five two ten um, would already be, you know, one of the biggest targets on the roster. Um, we haven't really had that sort of like big, tall, deep threat um, since Jamal Custis, Custis and Ahmed Atawo, um, obviously like being the guy, type of guys who like, I think Dino's offenses have stri- uh, thrived with in the past. But we haven't had a ton of here. I mean, Steve Ishmael uh, sort of played the role where needed. Tristan Jackson's played the role where needed, even though he doesn't have that size. Like 6'5 and 210 out the box, like he's easily someone who can develop and become like a 210, no, 220, 225-pound receiver and really just overpower everyone in front of him. Like there aren't a lot of defensive backs uh, in the ACC that are going to be able to keep up um, with a guy like that or be able to defend just the amount of height that he's going to be able to to have downfield. So. I'm excited for Alfred, and I think there's enough talent on the current roster that gives him time to develop and doesn't necessarily force him um, into action either, which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, look how many times, uh, from our standpoint, that ACC teams threw directly over our wonderfully tall uh, defensive backs. I mean, Antoine Cordy wasn't the, it wasn't the mold for a normal ACC, you know, uh, defensive back, but he he didn't hold up to the the scrutiny of what was being thrown at him. So hopefully uh, hopefully we don't run the, or we can run the opposite end of things and throw some large target out and just, you know, pick balls up over people.
0: Would definitely be nice. Uh, some other guys we wanted to mention while we're here. Uh, Terry Kinsler, uh, arguably the best prospect, according to the numbers, um, defensive end from Florida, uh, 6'3", 204, three stars across the board, um he lost a fourth star from somewhere, I think it was Rivals, um after he picked up after he committed SU, I saw a bunch of, you know, the usual uh message yeah. board conspiracy theories. Um that of course, like, you know, now he's not as good anymore once uh yeah, once
1: Syracuse. Oh, it's funny how that happens. Oh, Syracuse offered him. Oh, he accepted for Syracuse because he's only a three star, not a four star. It's yeah. the uh, the opposite of the Duke basketball <laughs> effect. Oof.
0: Meanwhile, the offers for, uh, for Kinsler, uh, USC, Miami, Washington, Oregon, LSU, Penn State. Uh, pretty great haul. There's plenty more names where that came from. Uh, Kinsler is one of a handful of guys uh, who plans to be on campus in January. I think he's someone who I see him maybe as defensive end, but realistically, like, and not to say there's not, like, some good linebackers on on the roster. Obviously, like, you know, there's at least one linebacker in this class, but I wouldn't doubt it to see Kinsler potentially, especially if we end up playing something closer to a, like, you know, four five, two next year where there's uh, some more hybrid roles, um, or even like a three, four at times. Like I, I could see Kinsler potentially shifting out into that, you know, outside linebacker role because he seems like a real solid athlete and someone who right now I wouldn't necessarily, I mean, he doesn't have the size at 204, um, uh, to be no, but a, he, a defensive end, but he can turn into, I think, a really great edge rusher.
1: Yeah, you give him an off-season or two in the strength and conditioning, and he could definitely turn into kind of that stand-up defensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, playing that that hybrid role. You know, dropping into zone coverage or actually uh, pinning his ears back and pulling the uh, the Terrell Richards, if you will.
0: Another player who I'd love to see in action at some point versus just the spot action that we've seen um, in recent years.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to, to actually, you know, find a spot for him. He, he clocks in at what, 6 4 somewhere around there. So it's, uh, it's that same kind of mold that, you know, athletic, long, uh, let's see what you can do, pin the ears back and go, or, uh, you know, match up one on one with a tight end and hold them down. So, um, there's a lot of promise in there and hopefully with, uh, with, the change in defensive system will find some some way to maximize that oh yeah and we'll get to that in the
0: second half of this uh this episode too i um, talking a little bit more about um what could be ahead uh for this defense obviously we don't know anything just yet uh we can take some guesses and that's kind of where we're gonna go with that conversation um, a couple more guys that we're going to feature from this year's class before we get to halftime Again, defensive line was definitely a focus, along with Kinsler. Uh, we had Justin Barron from Connecticut, Kevin Lemieux from Massachusetts, um, Leon Lowery from uh, New Jersey, um, all on the list. Uh, Josh Aloa from uh, Charlotte is the other uh, defensive lineman. He's the only tackle on this list. Six three two eighty. 280, uh, that's pretty great size um, coming out of high school. I am Again, I'm, I wouldn't say like I'm – and that's super, I'm not, like I'm not encouraged by this group. Um, I think that you could see if there's one like big name that like gets added to this list um, over the course of the next, you know, month, month and a half, I would I would think that it it goes on that line to kind of like really highlight how much of a focus this was. And maybe, I mean, a bunch of these guys could really, you know, challenge for, for snaps um, even next year, just because we have so much turnover in, in the front seven and i think that there's just going to be a, a renewed focus on you know just who can do the best job for us right now because i feel like with a new defensive coaching staff potentially a new defensive coordinator um a lot of players are going to be out to to prove you know who they are and 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 what they are um instead of kind of what we saw the last few years it's not that anyone wasn't trying to prove themselves but to say that things started to get a little um a little set in stone um, and players start to kind of get, you know, just disen- just disenchanted by that when they start to see depth charts shake out a certain way week after week. And now we get to kind of hit a full reset on that, and that could end up energizing a lot of players.
1: Yeah, and it does seem like uh, Dino's actually. Uh, it would have been nice to see this recruiting class, as far as position wise, maybe last year to let them develop into it. But you know, you're hitting you're hitting the linebackers, you're hitting the low line. I think there's only two running backs in Wex and Tucker. Um you're getting a couple of wide receivers in kind of uh, a smattering of things you need, some defensive end help. Um it's it, it's hitting the the points where we actually need some uh, depth. So it's it's good to see that the early period's kind of at least hitting if I remember my old NCAA 2004 uh, recruiting classes you always wanted to kind of have that nice balance uh, done early so you could focus where you want to later. So if they can, uh, if they can kind of capitalize on that and like you said, maybe find a a gem or two here or there, they could probably turn this into uh, take it from a a solid class to something where they can hang their hat on it. So we'll see how that goes, be it Juco or otherwise.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, most critics of of the, the Babers era kind of harp on the recruiting and like, you know, I'll continually point them to like, you know, on paper, these might look like similar classes to things Schaefer was pulling in. But you look at the actual offers, the level of talent, the fact that these players are making it to campus and staying there um, versus what we saw under Schaefer. I think it's, it's no brainer that the level of talent has been upgraded. Um, the one thing I would like to see, I think, in this class, and maybe a little more on the offensive line. Um again, like we mentioned a couple of transfer options and those could be, you know, where SU ends up filling those gaps. I think right now Garth Barclay um from York, Pennsylvania, is the only um you know pure offensive lineman on this list. That's fine. He's got great size, he's raised six seven. I think two fifty, you're gonna see someone who six seven frame, he can definitely um you know fill that out a lot more. But decent list of offers. I mean, Virginia being the the top one. I think the fact that UVA offered him um, is enough of an endorsement for me.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you'll see him, you know, fill out to maybe two seventy, two eighty, if he's playing tackle and uh, be able to move on that kick step. And that should uh, should be solid for the, the level of competition he's going to see. He's going to have to move against some of these DNs. Um, although I'm kind of assuming is going to end up as an offensive lineman. But uh, if we can get somebody else, then, you know, send him to the defense. He's has got another big body at six three, two eighty, so... uh, I guess a solid foundation. So we'll go from there.
0: Take it. All right. Why don't we take a little bit of a break for our sponsor and we're back. Steve, what have you been drinking?
1: Oh, well then. um, I mean, I've got a keg of Utica club in the basement. So there's that. Nice. Um, (laughs) I do uh, do currently, um, if you want to get really jealous, my buddies and I just did a a Hill Farm said share of some of our um, bottles we've been selling for a while. So Madison Civilization 10, um, Barrel-Aged Table Dorothy, a bunch of gems from them. But um, day-to-day, it's been a lot of uh, – got a porch bomb from Treehouse, so a Julius, um, some very green. So uh been getting around the, the New England breweries, the, the, the top end of New England breweries lately.
0: Very nice, very nice. Um, I was in Minneapolis this past weekend. So I had a bunch of interesting stuff from the Midwest. Um, first thing I got to have when I got to town. So, um, somebody had a uh, toppling Goliath King Sue on draft. So made sure to grab some oh, of yeah. that. So good. I haven't had that. I had a uh, pseudo, su a bunch, uh, but I hadn't had King Sue. So I was glad to finally, um, check that off the list. Um, I had from Surly at Todd, the ax man head was probably one of my favorite beers of the year. Um, Fair State Brewing in uh in Minneapolis uh teamed up with uh, Modern Times from out here for a uh, hazy IPA, uh, Spirit Fell. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Like none of like if you're not a big fan of hazies, like it gets rid of the like overly juicy kind of flavor. Uh it gets rid of the like harsh bitterness that some will have. It gets rid of the heartburn. And those of us that are unfortunate enough to suffer from it. Uh <laughs> Like gets rid of all that. it was just a really, really uh, well-made beer. Um, I wish I could drink that one all the time. Had uh, from Fulton Beer, also Minneapolis, uh, their 300 IPA. Stopped over at Surly, um, their headquarters, just gorgeous facility on Saturday. Had uh, their wet IPA, had some coffee bender, um, had some abrasive and some extra citra. Um, also had from Indeed Brewing, uh, day tripper Pale Ale, had some uh, Pipeworks Ninja versus Unicorn that happened to be um, in town, which is good. Had, I mean uh, a name alone right there. It's, such a, it, it's a great beer. Uh, I had it like years ago um, when I was trading with somebody from Chicago, but uh, was glad to give it another shot here. Um, had some Topland Goliath, uh, Sun Reaper, a double IPA, and then uh, from Modest uh, Brewing had a uh, New England Pale Ale, False Pattern. That was another really good one. So highly recommend yeah. the Minneapolis beer scene is a, a definite winner in my
1: book and i tell you they're uh they're actually distributing modern times out here now are they yeah they're they're getting around it seems fighting their way over the east coast so
0: are they getting is it just the staple stuff or are they getting the ipa yeah
1: too? no just the shelfy type stuff so
0: i mean fortunate islands is one of my favorite beers hmm. keep, I, I, keep my eye uh, out yeah i would say got, i mean uh, black house is a great uh stout too but like I would say, like during the summer, if you see Fortune Islands on the shelf, it's a fantastically like light um wheat ale with like some real nice um like pineapple and uh and like mango notes nice yeah. can't
1: uh can't beat that on a summer day
0: no, definitely a fave um all right, so with the rest of our time here that we don't know anything about <laughs> excuse me, we don't know anything about the uh the s u defensive coordinator hired just yet however um, we have some guesses i know that uh i made some guesses so like steve who 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 do you think is the best fit of like some of the the names mentioned uh for a defensive coordinator and then any reasons why perhaps
1: well um <laughs> it's it's always the the coaching carousel games always really really weird but um uh, kind of the standard things you gotta gotta look in the the ohana first if you will so uh neighbors has always been big on guys he's coached with in the past and it seems um i guess of those brian norwood probably the current co-dc at navy um just because he was on staff with him at baylor uh he also worked under phil montgomery who was a uh friend of Babers and a co-coach at I think a couple of stops if I remember right. So there's, there's some history there. If you're looking for a a current decently big name, that's probably looking to move up from the service academies. Um, any thoughts on your end as far as who else we're looking at
0: or. Um, I mean, Norwood seems like the not easiest get necessarily, but the one that makes the most sense uh, based on Baker's history, based on his preference to hire guys he's worked with before, by and large. Um, I think that you know Norwood Norwood was part of a defense that did a great job at Navy this year. I think there's questionable results at Tulsa, maybe Penn State, Baylor. Um, Baylor I don't discount as much just because pace um, is obviously going to factor in there a bit um, if you're just looking at the raw numbers. I think Norwood would be my clubhouse favorite. Um, I think... Has Dave Huxtable ended up anywhere?
1: Uh, I don't. I don't think I've heard anything.
0: Yeah, if he hasn't ended up anywhere, like Huxtable would probably be the most reasonable get after that. Um, and then Charlie Partridge. I know Marcus Freeman's probably going to be in demand. Cincinnati, and then Clayton White was kind of my sleeper from Western Kentucky, just because. they yeah, I know. Had some great defenses down there.
1: I know Partridge. I haven't heard go anywhere. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, the, the names, the names only go so far when it comes to what you actually want to see, I guess. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. Like, realistically, like, I don't, I don't necessarily know if we want to go past Norwood on this list. Um, I've only been, not because I don't like the other name, just because I think that Norwood has the most, has a lot of potential upside. Um, and obviously I think that him and Babers having like a potential working relationship already, um, could pay some bigger dividends. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, Huxtable isn't a bad look, uh, Partridge, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I want to go with the non-DC option just because he's, he was a head coach in the past, but it's not, I don't know. It's not the same.
0: It's a DC experience though. I will give Partridge that at least.
1: Oh, yeah. Where was he? Wisconsin okay gotcha but
0: yeah there's at least some of that i mean yeah he hasn't been in dc like recently um yeah i i would prefer someone like i mean that's the one drawback i guess with norwood is that most of his stops have been um co-dc he i know even this past year like he wasn't necessarily like the mastermind of the defense um, right and and that could potentially you know lead to some concern
1: well that uh, over his. Stops as code DCs at a couple of different options too, but the I, I think the Navy one's the one that's intriguing everyone. So the brand new berries kind of um, weird in between four two five three four 34 um, kind of just attack, attack, attack type style, which we've seen work and we've seen not work. So it's uh, a little bit of good with bad, but it definitely fits working with something like Baber's offense.
0: Oh yeah. I think at this point we've established that like attack works. Um, I think for as much as I and others like hated on, like constant trying to create turnovers, like over tackles and stripping the ball, like the way the season ended um, spits in the face of that. um, Just based on like the entire weight game, obviously was just a, you know, tour de force in terms of creating turnovers, but um, the way Trill Williams ended the season, uh, by literally stripping the ball and sprinting to the end zone with it. Um, Unnecessary. Yes. Fun and great for, you know, our, our downtrodden egos also. Yes. Um, I think that you're going to see maybe a little bit smarter play around that. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more tackling, hopefully. Um, I think the fact that Norwood comes from Navy, uh, even if it's just one year, um, I don't think Navy can really get away with undisciplined play and the and, you know, service academies are typically the least penalized teams in the country um, in part because of tempo, but in part just because of, again, discipline. Um, I think that some of that experience could probably do us really well, um, especially with a return to fundamentals, which I hope, um, you know, this coaching change um, on the defensive end brings in. Cause I do feel like, and, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I did feel a lot, there was a lot more pushing, not tackling um, a lot of, a lot of stripping over getting the tackle and, and, and the, the kind of lack of understanding that it was most important to get the guy down. If you could strip it while doing so great. Um, and obviously just the, the penalties and the personal fouls in particular that were, uh, that were backbreaking at times.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a frustrating, frustrating year because you'd see, you'd see people make first contact. And then the next thing you know, the guys running for another 30 yards and uh, one of our, Linebackers has to run across the field and make a tackle because they missed the first one. Um, It's it's the definition of lack of fundamentals, which hopefully something from the service academy experience and will help uh, him out in his prospective role. Um, It's more the I really want him there just because of stuff like that. Um, You've got and yes again like you said one year, but uh, the ability for him to basically work with what he's got. Uh, another thing that comes out of the service academy. So um, I've always kind of been high for a team like SU who in the ACC isn't going to get the cream of the crop. You know, we're going to get these three-star guys that we're talking about. Um, service academies are kind of uh, similar in the vein that you're you're making do with what you've got instead of taking the five-star talent and honing it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's one that like, you know, Service Academy is uniquely suited for it to translate to SU. I think that, you know, some of the like G5 jobs are too, obviously. I I think here, I'm just, the one thing I I am curious about, and I love the fact that he's experienced with secondary in particular, because I think it's somewhere that we have a lot of talent already. And I think it just needs to be coached um, up to a certain level. And, you know, that's no knock on, you know, a guy like Nick Monroe, who's obviously done a great job recruiting, but I do think that, you know, you, you saw some real lapses, even from really talented guys like Andre um uh, this past year and, and him and Melifondo in particular could be, you know, real all conference guys um, in the right system with the right coaching. So I hope that that gets applied. I think for me, the one other thing that I really want to address this off season is, is lineback, linebacker play uh, just because, you know, for the most part, like, since I'd say at least 2006-2007, like, despite some really bad teams in there, S.U.S. had some pretty good linebacker play, and they put a decent amount of linebackers in the NFL. Uh, I think it's really become, like, a hallmark of this defense, and our best defenses have featured really great linebacker play. Um, I think that this past season, obviously, has been the worst linebacker play I've seen in the last 10-plus years. Um, and, you know, that's not to to completely, you know, rate guys like you know licking williams and, and andrew armstrong over the Coles, but like there really just was a lack of um lack of execution on that front and and i think any coach any defensive coach that comes in i hope any assistant of his you know really has a linebacker focus because i really love to see um just some more development there uh for syracuse because that's really gonna I mean no matter what uh system we're gonna run especially if we're gonna run something like a four two five like or three four or anything like that like we're going to need stronger linebacker play than what we saw. And I think um, I was puzzled by the lack of, you know, development of some of the younger guys, but I'm hoping that, you know, some of the the snaps that we did see from guys like, um, you know, Mikel Jones and, and Lee Pogba, like, I hope that that translates to more. I, I hope we see a little more of uh, Juan Wallace um, and I hope some of these other younger guys who didn't get to see the field, um, you know, get a chance to, to work themselves in because I do think there's, I think there's a lot of linebacker talent on the roster I just don't know if we know anything about it just yet.
1: Yeah, and those three that you mentioned Wallace, Pogba, and uh Jones if if that's our three-man rotation for the two um for the two linebacker spots, if we end up in that the like similar uh 425 nickelback type formation, um it'd be it'd be an ideal three-man rotation for me. I mean, you've got three young talented kids that hopefully can get out there and you know but keep improving uh i'd be curious if if someone like norwood ends up in that spot if you see more of a traditional three four or if you see that four two five flex where the nickel isn't necessary in nickel um it, you're in a four two four and then kind of that uh that flex can either be in coverage or be a pass rusher or whatever you need it to be so or Trill uh, and
0: Tyrell actually get to, to play a little bit more.
1: Yeah, that'd be, you know, ideal. <laughs> get to get them actually doing what they are talented or well, what their talent dictates they should be doing. I'll yeah. uh I'll take that any day of the week.
0: <laughs> well, what was oh there was a thing today that was up on um Pro Football Focus, uh where they were talking about best defensive backs by route um and on screens that Trill Williams was actually graded out as the best uh, defensive back on screens, yeah. uh, which is surprising in some ways, I guess, but I mean, they, they kind of get at why it was just like a tough thing to grade, but one that like he excelled at because he played so well on an Island. Um, I mean, what's your take on Trill's ceiling? Cause like, again, like he, I think him and Tyrell are the, are two of the most interesting athletes on the team just because they don't fit into a traditional role and they've been used weirdly. Um, the last two seasons, but I think that when we've seen them on the field, they've actually made a ton of plays. And I think they're like, not that I have this number in front of me, of like the percentage of big plays per like snaps they've been on the field, I think it's pretty high.
1: Yeah. I think both of them are uh, uh, well above average. If, if somebody was recording um, weirdly energetic and game turning plays per minutes played, uh, they'd be right at the top of the list. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how to, how to grade that out or say it, but, uh, they've, they've both got weird potential that hopefully can be realized. Um, I mean, Williams, it, it's, it was funny in the, uh, the press room after that, uh, final game, he was just beaming like you could tell he was still just riding that high and it was, it was good to see, but another, you know, pass into the flats that he just took and did what he wanted to with it. Um, the guy went for the touchdown so if uh if we can use him in that kind of that deep nickel role or uh, i'd be i'd be very curious where we slot him in if we end up in a traditional uh type defense um he's what six two two hundred, 200 so he's a little small for an outside backer he's a little i don't know i don't know if his game fits a true safety I don't know. Yeah, it's, a, it's a weird flex, but yeah, he's, yeah, he's not a fun. center fielder.
0: Yeah, like he, he's not a center fielder the way that like, and he do you know, not even Cisco. Isn't a center fielder. Like Cisco, Cisco is not your typical, like ball hawking safety in the sense that like he lets like picks come to him. I feel like he makes very aggressive plays and sometimes that's where he gets burned. Yeah. But like he, he does to me, like, as far as like college players, there's very few college defensive backs that I've seen play the way he does. Um, with, with, with that level of success and I think you know it's it's really interesting that like he's also like added like big hitter into his because I feel like freshman year it was being right place right time and he always found a way to position himself which is awesome second year I felt like he did that plus he found plus he 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 added like you know real like bone jarring hits to his resume like I'm very curious to see what he's able to layer in for year three and realistically like I mean I don't know what Andre Cisco's plans are I don't know what I haven't really looked at like draft talk for him but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he if he declared after 3 years especially if he has is especially if if he to be asked if he experiences an injury the way he did this year I absolutely I would almost expect him to declare especially if he's starting to get first second round hype
1: yeah I mean coming off of, what all ACC year this year all American year last year Whatever he ends up doing next year is going to be just icing on the cake. Uh, if he even gets a knock, he's he, sh- and I'll I'll say it, he should be as good as gone. You know, if he's if he's getting like you said, first or second round looks, or even mid round pick looks, it's like, well, actually no, because first and second's guaranteed in NFL, right?
0: Uh,
1: I can never remember. Yes. I always I always think basketball, and then I get confused and whatever. But if he's getting guaranteed money, then just go just like any of our basketball guys. If you're getting, if you're getting your payday, you, you make the most of it. I mean, you only get one shot at this and it's going to take its toll on your body. You're only going to play so long, make the money when you can.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Like, I, I think a lot of teams would be willing to take a little bit of a risk on him and the right defensive coordinator at the NFL level could potentially really mold him into a better cover guy. Um, because he has all the other intangibles, and again, like the the nose for the football is not really something that you can, like the nose for the football in that regard, it's not something you can necessarily teach. Um, and and it's something that he just inherently possesses. Um, he's just a ball hawk. Uh, again, at a level that I've rarely seen at the college, uh, you know, level. So I think that
1: I I, I think that he think could potentially get himself
0: name. into the first round.
1: Yeah, he he hypothetically could. I can't even think of another name. Like since maybe. I mean, looking at the pros, you're looking at maybe like an Ed Reed. Like, who who had that nose for the football? Like there's, Yeah, I mean, there's Reed, not...
0: Reed's a name that jumps out, like maybe Champ Bailey.
1: Yeah, prime. but he was also, like, he was that kind of cover. Yeah, he was like, a cover guy. He made guy things happen one-on-one. Right. Like, he would put you on an island, make you throw, and then just say, no, I'm taking this and going the other way but yeah, there's like, it's just weird what Cisco does. He just makes picks out of him. He just pops up. So uh, like you said, it's definitely an intangible that you cannot teach and he's really, really good at it. So yeah. let's, uh, let's hope he, you know, has a breakout year next year and, um, you know, <laughs> more power to him when he goes.
0: Agreed. Agreed. I'll see anything else while we're, uh, while we're hanging here. I know we, uh, I said, we're just kind of been a holding pattern with this uh, defense coordinator hire. So can't necessarily like say too much because, again, don't really. And even if we hire Norwood, I don't necessarily think we know
1: what the scheme and all that is yet. Oh, no. And I'll, I'll actually I'll be quite curious because, uh, you know, when the when the carousel starts to rotate, you get a bunch of shuffles down the line. So it'll be it'll be a bit of, you know, whoever comes in, who are they? moving who are they Who's which position coaches are moving on you know does that affect recruiting where does that go like there's there's plenty to plenty to look into this off season into way too much detail which i'm sure we will because you know that's what we seem to do so um it's it's going to be a wild and, wild and wooly off season i think
0: yeah agreed i'm, I'm i know dan mentioned this last week and, and i had mentioned it in articles too this is going to be i think the the Coolest from an, uh, you know, observation standpoint, offseason um, covering this team in a while, um, if only because like we're seeing Dino Babers in a position he is uncomfortable with and how he's going to handle that. Um, I think so far he's handled it reasonably well, um, but again, like we're not really going to know how well until we start seeing the results next season. And obviously, like you know, we have a very tough game to start the season. Like Clemson is almost definitely going to be the first opponent. And that means, like, Eschew's going to have a big test ahead of them. And this defense coordinator is going to probably be hearing Chrysler's job after week one. Uh, Not because he did a bad job necessarily, but because fans don't necessarily adjust expectations for Clemson versus any other opponent.
1: Yeah, which they very well should. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a weird offseason. Like, Babers is never – this is – literally the first time in his career that he's his head coaching career that he's faced adversity right that he's had any sort of hiccup like Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green both went like smooth smooth move on smooth smooth move on and here we are at his first kind of hiccup so we'll see uh, we'll see what happens it'll be uh, I guess Dan did you know call it right it's going to be an interesting offseason if nothing else I will take
0: it, I guess. I mean, it's better than the, like, bad interesting, I think, that we were thinking when we felt we were going 3-9.
1: Right. It it also really makes me hate those Pitt and NC State games even more.
0: Oh, the most. I mean, as as someone who was at the NC State game, I uh, I, I, I remain livid about what I had to witness, which was not football under any circumstances on by either team. And I even talked to fans afterward on the way out who, who all agreed <laughs> that what we watched was not football in any way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, whatever happened there that wasn't that wasn't good. Just in general, <laughs> we're gonna. I'd say we leave it at that because that was just not. If we really want to get, you know, uh, pissed off about something, uh, that game can just go away, please.
0: <laughs> well, don't worry. Me and Dan are gonna have our uh, once we get to the actual off season. I think we're doing our like definitive dumb game rankings and the different types mm, of dumb games. Perfect. So that that game will definitely be on there. The pit one will as well, but I don't know where exactly.
1: Yeah, it's, I I didn't think we'd have two that qualified for dumb games in one year, but we did.
0: Well, I mean, uh, most of the Marone era was full of dumb games. Admittedly.
1: Yeah, I guess I should have phrased that we should we we wouldn't have two modern games. Because like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the yeah Marone, oh God.
0: Marone had dumb seasons like good and bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was. It's funny because you look at what was sandwiched around him, and uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to put it to words. You go from Robinson to Marone. Marone, one year is, you know, the greatest thing you've ever seen on a Syracuse field because, you know, it's better than what you just saw for three, four years um, that I was on the hill for. Like, uh, uh, yeah, that was bad. So,
0: yeah. On that note,
1: Sorry to depress
0: everybody. (laughs) Nah, totally fine. Uh, We are not going to meet next week um, just because Christmas and all. There's just a lot of day of the week it is. There's too many moving parts, so you're going to get a week off from the podcast, but uh, Dan and I should be back. the First week of January. If not, you'll hear from one of the other various folks on the blog. Whether that's Kevin, or maybe with Paul and James, or Steve, or anybody, we'll we'll figure it out. You will hear more of us. But thank you everybody for listening today for this year. Uh, plenty more fun content in 2020, um, and we'll be closing out 2019 with a bunch of you know best of the year things like that. So be sure to uh, stick around the blog. Um, Steve, appreciate you coming on today. Uh, it was great to uh, have you fill in on short notice
1: you it's emanated, John, you know, of course, of course. with the two year old, it's, as you can attest, you got some free nights
0: that you do, uh, quite a few of them. Um, so if, if that's not an endorsement for having kids to the people at home, I don't know who it, what it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, that was Steve. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Stitcher, Spotify. Tune in whatever other podcast service you listen to us on and go orange.